After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Thank you, Evan. Today's guest is Dr. Kent Keith, best-selling author of The Paradoxical Commandments. Anyway, Mr. Keith was the first Hawaii public high school graduate to become a Rhodes Scholar and the former president of Chaminade University. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Kent Keith. Welcome to our show. Good to be with you. So you wrote the book, The Paradoxical Commandment. Could you share with us a story about when you wrote that and how you wrote that? Sure. Well, actually, I wrote The Paradoxical Commandments themselves. Uh, there are 10 of them. There are 149 words. I wrote them as part of a booklet for student leaders back in 1968, long time ago. And uh, that was an interesting period, the 60s, a lot of conflict and confrontation, but also uh, a lot of hope and a lot of idealism. And I was working with student leaders, and they were asking me, well, you know, how should we lead? Why should we lead? And I wanted them to focus on doing what was meaningful, what would give them meaning and satisfaction, whether anyone appreciated them or not, or whether the change they wanted to achieve occurred right away or not. And so that's why I wrote the Paradoxical Commandments. And um, each one begins with a statement of adversity, things that are difficult in life, and each one's followed by a positive commandment. For example, the first one is people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. So the idea was no matter what the world does to you, you need to do what, what's right and good and true, and that will give you meaning. And if you have the meaning, you don't have to have the glory. So maybe you could share with us all of them. Okay, sure. Ten, right? I'd be happy to. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help and may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. And finally, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. How did you get inspired to come up with these commandments? Well, I think the basic idea is I, I learned from my parents and my church. Uh, and it was stimulated by, again, the 60s and the conflicts that were going on and, and seeing young people go out in the world to bring about change and see them coming back much too early, discouraged or embittered because the change they wanted didn't occur. And I wanted to focus them on just doing what you thought was right and good and true and getting the meaning and not worrying about everything else, just moving forward. So what do you mean by student leaders? Are these student political leaders or... Actually, um, Evan, at that time, I was working mostly with high school student council leaders all over the country in about eight different states, and I uh, got a little bit involved with uh, with college leaders as well. 
So you were a, a college student working with high school student yeah, that's right. government leadership. I got involved in uh, student government you know, when I was at uh, Stevenson Intermediate in Roosevelt High School here in Honolulu. And I, I founded a leadership institute my senior year in high school for, for students here in Hawaii. And then I went on and continued uh, working in that field uh, on a national basis during my college years. So what kind of impact have these paradoxical commandments had? Well, uh, it's hard to judge, but uh, our best estimate is they've spread all, we know they've spread all over the world, and our best estimate is they've been used by millions of people. Uh, we, we can track them uh, on the Internet. We see them being used uh, in many different countries by people of all different backgrounds, business people, government officials, military commanders, teachers, university presidents, social workers, parents, athletic coaches, uh, a huge array of people of different backgrounds, different cultures, and different countries. So you have three books now, is that correct? That's right. The, uh, the books I wrote for students back in the 60s um, um, were addressing those particular issues. And, and in 1997, I found out that Mother Teresa had put the Paradoxical Commandments up on her wall. And uh, that was a really big discovery for me. And that's when I started speaking and writing about the commandments again. Uh, my first book was called Anyway, the Paradoxical Commandments. Uh, that did become a, a national bestseller and was translated into 16 languages. The next book was called Do It Anyway, The Handbook for Finding Personal Meaning and Deep Happiness in a Crazy World. Uh, and most recently, um, a religious book, Jesus Did It Anyway, The Paradoxical Commandments for Christians. So what's the progression between these three books? Do they have a lot of um, similar themes or kind of different? Well, all three of them are about the Paradoxical Commandments. The first one was an introduction that gave an overview and stories of things that happened to me when I was young that would help explain why certain commandments uh, were what they were. Um, the second was meant to be more about how to use the commandments, how to live them in your daily life. And so there were questions for reflection and discussion and, and a whole lot of stories of people that I know who lived the paradoxical commandments. Uh, I began getting a lot of mail from Christians who said, you know, I know this is how Jesus wants me to live. Can you tie the commandments to the Bible? So that was really the, the reason for writing the third book. All of the illustrations and explanations are from the Old and New Testaments. And you said that you did go to church and that helped you inspire you to write, you know, your commandments. But at the same time, when you were writing your third book, did you have to go through the Bible to find? Oh, absolutely. Because when I wrote the original 10 Paradoxical Commandments, I didn't do a Bible research <laughs> project first and then write them. I just thought of, you know, 10 different things that can be difficult in life and why that shouldn't stop you from doing the right thing anyway. So when it came to writing the religious book, oh, yeah, it was, it was really a, a lot of fun going into the Bible, looking for stories that would really be good illustrations of the individual commandments. And, and they're there. It was, it was really a joy to track them down and, and to write them. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com.
You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Kent Keith, author of one of the nation's best-selling books, The Paradoxical Commandments. Anyway, so you mentioned that your paradoxical commandments were tracked all the way to Mother Teresa's wall, mm-hmm. and you have an interesting story about how you had found out about <laughs> finding this out. Yeah, it was a real surprise. Um, I was at, um, at that time, belonged to a Rotary Club of Honolulu that uh, was meeting down at the Royal Hawaiian. I'm, I'm now a member of the Sunrise Club, but then I was a member of, of that one. And, uh, of course, at the beginning of, of our meetings, like many service clubs, we'd have a poem or a prayer or a thought for the day. And it was September 1997, and um, my fellow Rotarians stood up and, and noted that Mother Teresa had passed away a couple of weeks earlier. And he said that in, in her memory, he wanted to read a poem that she'd written. So I sort of bowed my head to listen thoughtfully to that poem, and, and what I heard him read was eight of the original Ten Paradoxical Commandments, exactly as I'd written them 30 years earlier. So that was really amazing. I think sort of the hair rose on the back of my neck or something. I thought, wow, I recognize those. Uh, so I went up to him after the meeting, and I said, you know, the, the piece that you read, where did you get it? And he said, isn't it wonderful? And I said, well, um, gee, um, actually, I wrote it. Now, um, Rotarians are kind and courteous people, so he didn't say anything. He did give me a look. I think the look was, you poor self-delusional megalomaniac, you know, claiming to have written something by Mother Teresa. But I asked him where he'd gotten it, and um, he said, well, it was in a book about Mother Teresa. And I asked him which one he couldn't remember. So um, I went to the bookstore, and I, and I found a whole shelf of books about Mother Teresa. And I, and, and I found it in the back of one, one of the books called Mother Teresa, A Simple Path. And didn't say it was by her, uh, and it had been retitled anyway, which makes sense because each commandment ends with the word anyway. All it said at the bottom was a sign on the wall at Shishu Bhavan, the children's home in Calcutta. And that's how I learned that Mother Teresa had put the paradoxical commandments up on the wall of her, her children's home. And that just really, really meant a lot to me. I mean, I wanted to laugh, I wanted to cry, I wanted to scream, I, I wanted to jump up and down, didn't know what to do. Uh, and I decided that that was about as big a message as I'm ever going to get. And what I decided to do was start speaking and writing about the paradoxical command- commandments again after 30 years had passed. You know, coming from an author's perspective, obviously you want to have your works all over the place. But what are the copyright issues for this? If you see your work all over the place being used for various things, people quoting it, right. where, how does that come into play? Well, I actually did copyright uh, the, the commandments back in 1968 and renewed them in 2001. So I have a valid copyright, um, and it's been violated by millions of people. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, as an author, I'm saying, you know, the whole mission, the whole point is to get the word out. And so I'm, I'm really happy that people are sharing it. People really like the content. They don't really care who wrote it. You know, they just pass it from friend to friend, and off it goes. Um, so so um, the only times that I've really paid attention to that is, is when, say, for example, someone publishes it in a book, and they attribute it to, to unknown or to somebody else. I'll write to them, and I'll say, you know, this is the story, and I have a valid copyright, and you just violated it, but I'm happy to give you permission retroactively to do what you've already done. And if you reprint the book, you know, make the change, correct the attribution. These are people that I consider kindred spirits. If they really like the commandments, we have something pretty deep in common. So I see them as friends and just ask them as friends to, you know, make the update or make the correction when it's convenient for them. What about people that take the works and they kind of change it up and change the words and things like that? Well, there's really no control over that. I mean, people people really like the paradoxical commandments, but they'll say, well, let me add something or let me change something. 
Um, that's that just shows they really care about them and they get this sense of ownership and want to want to adapt them a little bit to their own use. And I, I think you know that's fine. That's that's uh, again, it's out there. That we're just trying to share a message, and it's delightful that apparently millions of people have have gotten the message. Have you always been a pretty positive person like this? Where you know sometimes when you have something bad happen to you, it's really easy to just sit down and sulk. But have you always been able to? be uplifted and have a positive attitude that something good would come out of it? You know, I, I, um, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm, I'm pretty positive. I think, I think the key for me is to stay focused on, on the meaning. Uh, for me, finding personal meaning, which is what the paradoxical commandments point to, is really a key to, to how I interpret what happens to me and, and, and how I try to focus, how, I, how I've picked the different jobs I've had. Um, that's what I was advising the, those student leaders um, 37 years ago, is focus on the meaning. And, and that's a really positive thing, because the meaning is always there for you, if, if you know where to find it. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with monsters so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Dr. Kent Keith, well-known author of The Paradoxical Commandments, anyway. So you had mentioned that you had chosen your jobs based upon these personal meaning in life. Mm -hmm, sure. So you were the president of Chaminade University. Right. How did you choose this position and mm -hmm. know that this is something for you? Actually, I've, I've had six different positions or roles um, uh, over the years, and uh, that was a, a very, very meaningful uh, thing to do. Um, I was approached by some regents uh, asking me to uh, to become the president, and and to me the the thing that was was really exciting was was the mission of the university, uh, the values that were there. I mean, we're talking about social justice and ethics and servant leadership and nurturing families and building communities, things that I really care about, things that that I really want to work toward. So that really motivated me to go. Uh, there were a lot of challenges there. It was a very difficult uh, assignment. Um, there were a lot of tough decisions to be made, but what sustained me through the six years that, that I was president was continually focusing on that meaning, thinking about the contribution that that university has made and continues to make to the community. Can you explain to us a little bit more into the philosophy of servant leadership? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, there are two um, really prominent models of leadership uh, in, in our society today. The dominant one, the old one, is the power model. And it's about acquiring power and wielding power and making people do things. There's another model, and it's, it's thousands of years old, and it's the service model. And people who, who use that model, who live that model, uh, are often called servant leaders. Now, the mission of a servant leader is to identify and meet the needs of others. So, you know, you may use power, you may not need power, but the idea is let's find out what people really need and let's focus on, on helping them to get it. So, uh, you know, a power model person might say, you know, I want to make people do things, whereas a, a servant leader will say, you know, I want to help people do things. 
So servant leaders are usually facilitators and coordinators and healers and partners and coalition builders trying to help groups achieve the things they need to achieve. Uh, what a servant leader does in each case uh, can be very different because when you go into a, a group or an organization and you look around, you say to yourself, you know, is there any kind of um, gap or missing link or blockage that's making it hard for this group to achieve what it needs to achieve? And, and if so, can I figure out what that gap or missing link or blockage is? And if I can figure that out, can I do something about it? So that would be my leadership role is to do something about it. And, you know, if I can't figure out, you know, something that I can do personally, can I find someone else who can then do something about it? So it's about uh, really spending time trying to identify the need. That makes you very relevant and very effective because if you understand the need, you're, you're really in a good position to, to address it and really be relevant and effective when you take action. Um, that's that's really what servant leadership is about to me, is, is focusing on identifying and meeting the needs of others. Do you feel that this type of leadership is innate, or is it learned, or can it be? You know, I really believe that um, uh, people kind of discover it along the way as they, as they go through life. Now, some people discover it real early. Uh, it's clear in, in uh, Christian scriptures. It's clear in the Taoist faith. It's, it's clear in a number of, of teachings. Uh, and people may just say, wow, this is the way I'm supposed to live and go at it. I think a lot of other people kind of discover it, and they discover that um, they have a moral decision to make, and that is when you understand people have needs, uh, you can ignore those needs, you can exploit those needs, or you can try to meet those needs. And servant leaders say, hey, you know, whatever happens, however tough it gets, I'm going to try to meet those needs. So they make a moral decision. And they also discover where the meaning is. And we know from a lot of different sources, from the world's religions, from research, from our own experience, that, that the, the real meaning in life comes from loving and helping others. And that's basically what servant leaders set out to do. So it's not about the leader, you know, I want power, I want to make, make people do things. It's about how can I love people, how can I help people, how can I be relevant and effective and help the, the right things get done in the world. So how would you apply servant leadership to business? You know, I think um, really good business people are servant leaders, even though uh, almost none of them would ever use that label. Uh, I think that um, that good business leaders really do identify and meet the needs of their colleagues. Uh, they really do identify and meet the needs of customers and clients. Uh, and that so they're not all caught up in their own power or, or prestige. They're they're really focused on others inside and outside the company. And you know that's that's really effective. Again, that's that's how to be uh, relevant. You want to find a market niche. You want to find a product or a program or a service that people need. You've really got to go out there and listen and watch. And, and try to identify that need. Then you can come back and say, wow, when I make the investment of our time and energy and resources, it's really going to be on target because I'm really going to be doing something that people will need and appreciate. They'll, they'll, they'll buy it or they'll donate to support it or the government will, will support it or whatever the source of, of funding is going to be. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptunites, sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites. For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubble tea.com. Neptunites.
the sunshine in your mouth. Audi sell his company to Akamai Technologies for three billion dollars. Find out at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at GreaterGoodRadio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at GreaterGoodRadio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Dr. Kent Keith, author of one of the nation's best-selling books, The Paradoxical Commandments, Anyway. Can you give us an example or a story of someone who's implemented servant leadership in a great way in business? Sure. Um, matter of fact, just uh, yesterday I, I was meeting with uh, one of my friends who's also in my Rotary Club, and his name is Will Hartzell. Uh, Will Hartzell is very, very disturbed by the fact that uh, millions of people around the world uh, die from contaminated drinking water. And uh, Will is just a highly motivated people uh, person. Will is a highly motivated person who, who wanted to make a difference. And so he started a company. He has a company called Safe Water Systems that set out to develop a solar pasteurization system that would be um, real simple and could be used all over the world, especially in poor countries where they, they didn't have uh, clean water. A lot of people told him uh, it wouldn't be done. A lot of people said he couldn't do it. A lot of people said, gee, you know, it's a tough business model. But Will was really motivated by the meaning th that he would get when he knew that he would be, you know, actually saving lives. So he went ahead. He stuck out. Uh, he went ahead. He stuck with it. And uh, now, years later, he's placed, I think, 1,400 units in more than 50 countries around the world. And, and as, of, as we speak, about 100,000 people are drinking clean water that didn't have it before. And it's, you know, these are, these are people that aren't going to get sick and aren't going to die because one person who happens to live here in Honolulu started a company, and his business is to produce these kinds of products that, that will um, prevent people from drinking contaminated water. Um, so, you know, he's got the meaning. He's got a business. He's really making a difference. I think that's a, I think that's a great example. So it's real similar to social entrepreneurship then? You know, um, I think that, that a good place to start in thinking about social entrepreneurship is the fact that every, every business or nonprofit organization or government agency is really there to meet the needs of people. And, and you know, they're different in terms of how they get their resources. I mean, a, a private business will charge for its services. A nonprofit may charge and, and be supported by donations. The government collects taxes. But however the, their resources come in, they're really all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to, to meet a real need. And if they don't, they should be out of business. You know, I mean, <laughs> they really need to be meeting a need. Um, so every one of those organizations is contributing to the community to begin with. So they're already in the community having an impact on the community. Um, many of them, while they are providing their program or product or service, are creating communities among themselves. I mean, for example, um, you know, you think of, of um, in many towns, a, a coffee shop. It's a business. Uh, the people who come in every morning know each other, and they, they sort of build their own community. That's their time of sharing. I worked for the YMCA, and we began to notice that People who came to work out at certain times during the week began to meet each other, know each other. We were forming communities. So, you know, as we did our work, we were we were uh, building communities. Um, I think that um, businesses, by by improving the community, by building communities, they hire people. They're they're in the community. The community is already part of it. 
it's not like my business is over here in the community somewhere else. I mean, you're already in the, in the middle of it, already involved, already making a difference. Um, the, the social entrepreneurship part, to me, is, is realizing that um, you can go beyond a regular business model and you can do things that are focused on what the community needs and that creates um, relationships and goodwill that in some form or another come back to you uh, as they usually do in life, whatever you're doing. And um, that, that supports your business and that supports uh, uh, the community at the same time. So I don't see them as really separate. I see them as one package. And I think, I think businesses in, in particular um, tend to, to downplay uh, the meaning of their work. Um, I see, you know, they tend to devalue, well, I'm just making money, you know, where people in the nonprofit sector or government, they're really doing something noble. Everybody's trying to do something that I consider noble. Everybody's trying to provide a program or product or service that will improve the quality of life or change a life or even save a life uh, out there in, in the community. And um, so I, I think you need to start with that sense of meaning and then say, you know, how can I expand that? So before we end, Dr. Kent Keith, so many of us are so involved with our daily lives, our businesses. Are you able to give us some tips of how we can find our own personal meaning and deep happiness so that we can be a servant leader? Yes. You know, uh, everything we know from uh, the world's religious teachings, from research, uh, from our own experience says that uh, power, wealth, fame, and, and those sorts of symbols of success, they're fine. Um, our society pushes real hard toward those things. Um, but they don't give us a whole lot of meaning, that that's not enough, that, that we want to get ahead, but we also need to get meaning. And, and what we know is that um, loving people and helping people and living ethically and becoming part of something larger than yourself, these are all really ancient and important sources of meaning. So you've got, to, you've got to, to, to keep track of that. You've got to balance your life. You need to lead a bigger, richer, more balanced life than just focusing on power, wealth, and fame. Um, lots of people do achieve the power, wealth, and fame and find it's comparatively empty. In fact, the American dream for at least a century has been about materialistic things. And now there are millions of Americans who have achieved the American dream, and they're not happy because it's hollow. So there's more to it. And we know what the more is. I do, I do surveys. I do research. And people continually uh, put family and giving and receiving love and intimate relationships above everything else. And what always comes out at the bottom in terms of sources of meaning are power, wealth, fame, and winning. So nobody's against power, wealth, and fame. You know, they just, that's just not enough. It's not a big source of meaning. So it's about living a balanced life. It's about seeing the meaning in what you're doing. Often it's there and people don't pay attention. Um, but it is there if you just, just turn and look at it. And again, it's about what impact am I having on the community? What impact am I having on my family? What contribution am I making in my business? And what, what more could I do that would be consistent and authentic for me and would maybe expand my world in a way that just would make life a whole lot more meaningful to me. So how did you find your own personal meaning? Well, I began to notice uh, real early in life um, what I thought was worth doing and why it was worth doing. Um, and, and I think I began to notice it because I would take a stand on an issue or I would try to do something and, and I'd get feedback. And sometimes it was very negative. Um, when I was uh, 15, I, I stood up and, and opposed a... a um, proposal to reorganize the student government at Roseville High School. I mean, that's a long time ago, and I was just a new sophomore at the school. Um, I was the only one willing to stand up and, and say, no, I don't think we ought to eliminate the representative assembly. That's democracy. We want everybody involved. Why cut people out? Um, and I was attacked, and, and I was treated badly, and people actually picketed during lunch hour, attacking me with their placards. And it was, um, it was rough, but what I learned was, you know, that's what I believe. And whatever happens, win or lose, 
it was meaningful to take a stand. Um, turned out I won. And, uh, you know, when it came to a vote, uh, the side that I was promoting actually won. But you don't know that in advance. What you know is, this is, this is what I believe. This is who I am. I want to I do that. And I might get punished or I might get rewarded, but uh, it's worth it. And so at a fairly early age, I started making those decisions. And I've tried to stick with it all these years. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.